Awesome. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 21 verses this morning. John chapter 10. Let's pray together. Jesus says, you being our good shepherd, we know that it's powerful when you speak in our lives. And we want to hear the voice of our shepherd this morning. Hear you speak to us through the pages of your word. God, we ask that you would take us to those green pastures, to those still waters, that you would restore our souls, that we could fully experience the abundant life that you intend. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The question before us is, are we empty or are we full? I look at my life and my journey and my walk with the Lord, and there's some times where I can say I'm really satisfied in Christ. I'm full in Christ. I'm experiencing the abundant life. But then there's other times where I've drifted, I've gotten distracted, and if I'm being honest, I would say I feel incredibly empty. And I think most of us this morning, we understand the promise that Jesus gives to give life and to give it abundantly, but sometimes we may not be experiencing it. So hopefully this morning we're able to connect the dots a little bit and experience more of the abundant life that God has for us in Christ. The key understanding in these 21 verses is Jesus using the statement of I am. We've talked about this several times, but it comes from Moses being there in the wilderness for 40 years Wondering if God's going to use his life, then one day God appears to him through the burning bush. The bush is on fire but not being consumed, sends Moses back to Egypt. Moses says, I want to know who's sending me your name. And God says, I am that I am, this great declaration of who he is. And Jesus uses that I am statement by declaring that he is God. I am And today in our study, we're going to see two more I am statements. There's seven statements in the Gospel of John. And today Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And also declares that he is the door. I am the door. Remember, all of this is leading up to Christ being crucified. Jesus has just healed the blind man who was born blind. The religious leaders are angry at Jesus because he did that on the Sabbath day. And in this teaching of Christ being the shepherd, he also exposes the religious leaders as being the counterfeit. So we begin our journey in verse 1 of chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jesus using this statement to cause us to pay attention. Verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, That if someone's coming to rob and steal a sheep, he's not going to use the door. But he enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Isn't this true today in our homes? If a robber is coming, he's probably not using the door. If someone's coming into your house other than through the door, you probably should pay attention, right? Family and friends use the door, but robbers come in some other way. And Christ is using this illustration of a shepherd and sheep because this is something that was very common to everyone's experience. 
Many would be shepherds. If they weren't shepherds, they knew a shepherd. They watched a shepherd and their sheep. But there probably isn't anything that's more removed for us this morning. Like if you're a shepherd of sheep, we want to meet you after service. Would you please come introduce yourself after service, right? Because this is not part of our normal daily context. But Jesus knows that this is something that the people know and that they understand. They would understand that the shepherd would be the one that would come through the door, but the robber comes in some other way. It's also important to know that the sheep with the shepherd would come into a common pen in the city or the village, and there would be a wall around this common pen, and then that the door would be this doorkeeper or a watchman that would stand at the opening of this, this common pen to make sure the sheep don't come out, but also to make sure that a robber doesn't uh, come in. In verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. We know where Jesus is going. He's declaring that he is the shepherd, the good shepherd, and we are the sheep. And this relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls them by name, and he leads them out. They recognize the voice of their shepherd. And the shepherd gives the sheep a specific name, similar to the way that we would name our dogs or our cats or a horse. He, he knows each sheep individually and gives a name to them. In Revelation, it tells upon eternity that God's going to give us a new name that he knows and he declares to us, and it's going to be a name that fits us perfectly. Sometimes when you have a specific name for someone that you're close to that's not their given name, it shows closeness of relationship, doesn't it? For all of us that are married, husbands and wives, I'm sure your spouse calls you something other than your first name. In fact, it's kind of weird if, if they say, Eric, if Amber says Eric, it's like, oh, maybe I'm in trouble, right? But the, the closeness of, of relationship is Amber and I, we, we call each other, and I'm not going to tell you, right? <laughs> With our kids, you know, we have nicknames for our kids. And so this shows the closeness that God is going to give us a name that only he knows. The important thing here is for us to hear the voice of our shepherd. So when we hear his voice, then he's able to lead us out. So with this common pen that would be there, you would have the sheep intermingle, but then here would come the shepherd, and the shepherd would give a unique call for his sheep, and they would all come and follow the shepherd. There's a story during World War I time period where some soldiers tried to steal some sheep just outside of Jerusalem, and all the shepherd had to do was give this unique call, and here the sheep came back to him because they weren't going to follow these strangers, these thieves that were coming uh, to steal. So the question is, is how do we hear God's voice? Do you hear the voice of your shepherd? Because this is really important. This is really important in our relationship with God that, that we're able to hear Christ's voice. So much of Jesus' teaching had this challenge. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So are we listening to what God would want to speak to us so that he's able to, to lead us out. The primary way that God speaks to us, that we hear his voice as our shepherd, is through the word of God. 
The word of God is powerful. The word of God is sufficient. The word of God is, is inspired. This is not a list of suggestions, but it declares to us who God is and his direction for our lives. And the best way to hear God's voice is to have a healthy diet of God's word. To take time to spend in God's word on a, on a daily basis. And some of you may be saying, man, that seems so hard. I, I don't even know where I would begin. I'd begin with the gospels. And specifically the gospel of Mark. Pray before you start reading and read through the gospel of Mark. These are books of the Bible that were meant to be written or read from chapter one to the end of the book. It's okay to play Russian roulette with the Bible and go, I haven't read God's word in a while, so I'll just flip it open and see where it lands. But sometimes you can get misguided that way. Uh, Judas went and hung himself. What does that mean for me today? (laughs) Nothing, right? Judas made a bad decision. So it's better to go ahead and read through a, a book of the Bible. And it's not how fast you read it. You don't have to read five chapters. You don't have to read the Bible in a year. Read it at a pace where you're able to get something out of it. It's also helpful to me if I approach my time in God's word with pen and paper to write down a verse that is speaking to me or to highlight it in my Bible app and write a few notes. Helps me to remember what God is is speaking. But so many times when we're in the word of God, God speaks and we go, man, that's exactly what I need to hear today. It changes our perspective. When we're studying God's word in a setting like this or listening to a podcast, something will stand out and we'll realize this is the voice of God speaking to me through the word of God. So having time in God's word is really what allows us to hear uh, the voice of God. Also, we see in Elijah's life, Elijah stood up to the prophets of Baal in a radical way, challenged them on Mount Carmel. Whatever God is true will send fire from heaven The one true God sent fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal weren't able to accomplish this. The prophets of Baal are are killed. This, This amazing work and move of God. But then we find Elijah being overcome with fear. Jezebel says, I'm gonna kill you, Elijah, for doing this to my prophets. And you'd think Elijah would say, bring it on, little lady. You know, I just saw God call fire from heaven. He'll he'll torch you too, right? But instead, Elijah goes, this is a powerful woman. I'm gonna flee and I'm gonna run. And he runs out into the wilderness and tells God, I'm done. I don't wanna live anymore. Go ahead and and take me. God graciously sends an angel with a meal that he was able to eat that sustained him for 40 days. Wouldn't that be nice? Eat once this afternoon and then you're, you're good to go until May 1st, right? But then Elijah decides, I'm just going to go to a cave. Again, expressing this despair and discouragement, and I'm just going to punt. There's something interesting there where it says that God passed by, and then there was this great wind, and rocks started to fall, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was fire, and God wasn't in the fire, but he was in a still, small voice a still small voice, and then God began to speak to Elijah of exactly what Elijah needed to hear. And when we hear the voice of our shepherd, it's powerful, isn't it? That's where real life change takes place in our hearts and our lives, but it's a still small voice. 
A lot of times we want this big dramatic experience with God and he may give to that to us, but oftentimes it's this quiet voice where God speaks to us. And in order to hear his voice, we have to slow down the velocity of our lives. We have to slow down the busyness of our lives. We have to be still to be able to hear that still small voice of God. And you'll begin to recognize the voice of your shepherd and sometimes there's something that's impressed upon your heart where you go, you know, I don't think that came from me. I think that was the Lord speaking to me. I think that was the Lord guiding me and you check it to make sure it lines up with the word of God. If we think the Lord has spoken to us through this quiet voice and it doesn't line up with the word of God, then guess what? It wasn't the Lord. I've seen a lot of people get themselves in trouble because they go, well, God spoke to me I'm like, I don't know what God you're listening to because that doesn't line up with the Bible, right? So making sure it lines up uh, with scripture. But the Lord many times will begin to speak and he'll say, man, you're being really prideful. Or you need to reach out to, to this person. So we hear the voice of God through the word of God and through that still small voice where he speaks to us. And it's through that that God is able to lead us out. In verse four, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow, for they know his voice. So in this analogy, the shepherd calls his sheep, and then the sheep follow, and he, he's going out in front of his sheep. Amazing that we have a shepherd that goes out in front of us. The shepherd would never be behind the sheep, beating the sheep, rebuking the sheep, but out in front of the sheep, showing the sheep where they're supposed to go, and that's Jesus. He goes out in front of you. And then the sheep follow. And that's what we get to do. We're sheep. We get to follow. That's where the struggle comes in. That's where I've got my agenda, my will, my plan. And when the abundant life comes together is when I'm in relationship with the shepherd, I'm, I go, I get it. You're good. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to go where you're leading me and where you're taking me. In verse 5 Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So if someone else comes in and tries to call the sheep, they're not going, right? There's no way that they're going to follow this, this stranger. And Jesus is teaching us there's the voice of the shepherd, but there's also counterfeit voices. There's lies. There's the enemy Satan. There's false teachers. And we want to be able to distinguish and go, that's, that's the voice of a stranger. That's the voice of a false teacher. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. So as Christ is talking, they're not getting the spiritual understanding. Like, why are you telling me this very common story about shepherd and sheep? Christ goes on to explain. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Well, wait a second. I thought Jesus was the shepherd. He was the shepherd, but he was also the door. In this common pen, oftentimes the shepherds would be the ones that would lay down at this door, that they would be the doorkeepers. And when Jesus declares to us, I am the door, he's saying that he is salvation, that he is the way in to be part of the flock of God. There's no other way to be part of God's family, God's flock, to be his sheep without believing in Christ. The Bible says, Jesus declares, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not enough to simply believe, but it's believing specifically in Christ and who he is and what he has uh, done for us. 
I take great comfort as Jesus declares himself as the door, the door for salvation. If he can open up the door for salvation, he's also the sovereign one who reigns over the doors in my life, the situations that we face in our life. Have you experienced in your life, sometimes the door just opens and you receive the job. You get into that college. The relationship opens up. The provision is there. But other times, the door just closes. And it doesn't matter how hard you yank on that door, you cannot get it open. Why? Because Jesus is the door. It's part of his guidance that he gives in our lives. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we're able to trust him. Go, okay, Lord, you've closed this door. I'm trusting you. I'm not going to beat on a door that you've closed. God, you're opening this door, so, so I trust you. In verse 8, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. Jesus is calling out the scribes and the Pharisees, these false teachers that are wanting to kill Christ and saying they came before me and they're robbers. They're trying to rob you and steal from you. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says the door brings us into salvation, but also into relationship where he's our shepherd and he leads us in and out to find good pasture. What are some of the pastures that God brings us into? He brings us into the pasture of forgiveness as his child. I'm sure there's a lot going on in your life this morning, but one thing you can be certain of if you know Christ, is your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, that's a pasture that God has brought you into. Remember before you knew Christ as your Savior, the weight of sin on your shoulders, and to not carry that weight this morning? We've been brought into the pasture of eternal life. We have eternal life. We know that we know that we know that we're getting closer to heaven. We're getting closer towards eternal life. That's something that we hold on to. God brings us into the pasture of his promises. Promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. That of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The promise of his peace that surpasses understanding. We're brought into the pasture of God's comfort through the Holy Spirit, where he comforts our hearts and he comforts our lives. It's, it's wonderful to be saved and it's wonderful to be in relationship with our shepherd. Here's the theme verse in verse 10. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. We have two mission statements. The first mission statement is of the thief and of the robber. He comes for one purpose, and that's to bring destruction, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. There's a real enemy who's wanting to rip people off through lies. Jesus has already stated in the Gospel of John that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning, and he is the father of lies. You know, and it breaks my heart to see how Satan is able to bring damage into people's lives, into our lives into the lives of unbelievers. It breaks my heart in our community that people are committing suicide and that's an, ultimately a work of the enemy to say your life is not worth living. You'd be better off dead and those around you would be better off if you were dead. 
and ultimately take, take their own life. It breaks my heart to see people destroy their lives through the abuse of drugs and alcohol, thinking that, man, this is gonna be my fix. I can't handle the pain in my life, so I'm gonna go to drugs. I'm gonna go to alcohol, and it leads to more drugs and more alcohol. It's amazing the lie of the enemy when it comes to sexuality, where God says this is where abundance is in sex between a man and a woman as they commit to each other in marriage. Sex is beautiful and life-giving, but outside of that, it brings destruction. And we see people running to pornography. We see people running to relationships outside of marriage, defining sexuality for themselves, and it's leading to destruction. See, the deception with sin is that sin is, brings pleasure. And there's pleasure in sin for a moment, but the reason that God says that sin is forbidden is because it brings destruction. It brings pain in our lives. And so God is presenting for us two ways of living. The way of living from the good shepherd, but also this way of destruction. And church, I've been reminded this weekend of just the power of the name of Jesus. Uh, the power of the name of Jesus in the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of someone struggling with suicide, someone's life being consumed by, by drugs or alcohol or anger. And we have a mission. If we're sitting here and we're enjoying abundant life with our shepherd and we don't share it with someone whose life is being destroyed by the enemy, there's something wrong with that picture, isn't it? And sometimes we have to be reminded there's so many people that have no idea who Jesus is. And this is an opportunity to say, I wanna share with you what Christ has done in my life. It brings me great hope. And as believers, as we struggle with sin, and as believers, we struggle with the destruction of the enemy, guess what? We get to focus on the good shepherd. There's hope for us as we listen to the voice of the good shepherd. As we're in relationship with the, the good shepherd and we say, I wanna follow the good shepherd. You may find yourself in a place that you don't wanna be as a believer today and you're saying, I'm experiencing more destruction than life. What's the way out? It's the voice of the shepherd. It's to draw near to him and allow him to draw near to you and thankfully he's not gonna abandon us because of our sin. And then to hear him, hear him in his word. Hear him in your heart, hear him in your life, and begin to follow him, and he brings us into that abundant life. But we also have the mission statement of Jesus, where Jesus says, this is why I came. We wanna pay attention to those kind of statements from Jesus. I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. The idea is overflowing life. Our cup running over. The abundant life isn't necessarily that we're gonna live long. Abundant life isn't that we're gonna be, have an easy life or a comfortable life. It's not that when you receive Christ as your savior that you entered in with a contract with Amazon Prime that because you are a Christian, you are gonna get cheesecake and coffee delivered to your door every night at nine o'clock before you go to bed simply because you believe in Jesus. Jesus says you're gonna have abundant life, so here's this life of ease and comfort. It doesn't say that you're never gonna have ch challenges financially, that you're never gonna have challenges in relationship. But what the abundant life is, 
is that there's satisfaction and contentment in Christ. Abundant life is all about the relationship with Jesus, all about the relationship with the good shepherd. And we see that in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This I am statement again. I am the good shepherd. And as this amazing, loving, beautiful, compassionate, and strong good shepherd, Jesus lays down his life for us in order to protect us, in order to provide the way of salvation, he lays his life down upon the cross. In verse 12, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The difference between ownership and being hired. At times, a shepherd would hire someone to take care of his sheep, and a hireling sees a wolf coming and says, I'm not laying my life down for the sheep. I don't value the sheep that much. I'm hightailing it out of here, right? It's the difference between owning a car and renting a car while you're on vacation. Have you ever said these words, oh, well, it's just a rental? I've said it. I drive a rental different than I drive my own car, right? Why is that? Because I'm not the owner of of that car. But if there's a a car that maybe you've made the payments on, you had the car payment and you paid those payments, you feel like they'll never go away, right? And they finally go away, you're like, I'm I'm taking care of this baby. This thing's paid off. We're gonna drive this as, as long as possible. Maybe God gave you the strength and the provision to save up some money for a while and you bought a car in cash and you're like, I own this thing, right? I'm invested in this thing. And that's the message here from Jesus to us is he owns us, he values us, where the hireling doesn't have the same relationship. Then the hireling flees because he is a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. He knows us. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet he loves us knows everything about us. And we know him. And we see how personal this relationship is by the example in verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. So in the way that Jesus knows the Father is the way that Jesus knows us. And he again expresses, I lay down my life for the sheep. Maybe you don't feel valued by God. You don't feel loved by God. You're not sure that God really cares for you. You know God is loving, and you know God is good, but you don't feel that God is loving or good towards you. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at the cross. Look at the cross where where Jesus chose to lay down his life upon the cross. Look at his wounds. Look at his blood that was shed for you, and he declares to you, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd that loves and, and cares for you. I laid my life down for you. It's the proof of his love for us. In verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is speaking of future believers and probably speaking of the Gentiles that will be saved because he's saying, I have those that are not of this flock, not of the nation of Israel, and they too will hear my voice, and it's going to be one flock and one shepherd. 
And this is how people continue to get saved, to continue to know Christ, is Jesus is always speaking. Jesus stands at the door of people's lives and says, I love you, I died for you, will you believe me, will you let me in? And as people hear that voice and respond to it, they're saved. And they're brought into the flock, and there's one flock and one shepherd. I want to remind us this morning of the unity of believers. As God sees the believers this morning in Colorado Springs, he doesn't see Discovery Church and Vanguard Church and Rocky Mountain Calvary and Mountain Springs and and New Life and Calvary Worship Center. He doesn't see individual churches. What does he see? He sees one church. And there's one shepherd, Jesus Christ. There's one celebrity, Jesus Christ. There's one pastor that we focus on, Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd, and we're all together in one flock. Verse 17, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. At first reading, this sounds a little odd. Well, the father loves the son because he did this. But what's being expressed here is the father appreciates the sacrifice that Jesus is going to make upon the cross. The father sees the depth of Christ's willingness to go to the cross in obedience to the father and in love for us. In verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This is the command that I have received from my father. Jesus is saying, no one is taking my life from me. I'm choosing to lay it down. This is what took place as Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The mob is coming to arrest him. He says, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, he declares, I am, the I am statement. All of them fall flat upon their back in that moment. Jesus could have easily walked away. They didn't take his life from him. He willingly laid down his life. And then he expresses for us in verse 18 that he's able to take it up again. He's predicting his resurrection, that he has the power to raise himself from the dead. Verses 19 through 21, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Once again, there's this division about Christ. No, he's not of God. He's got a demon and he's mad. And others saying, how could he be demon possessed because he heals the blind? Would you turn with me to one more section of scripture? I know that's always scary when the pastor says that. You're like, Man, he's going to end early this morning. Nope, we're in for it. Psalms, Psalms 23. Sir, turn with me to Psalms 23 because we see Jesus as the good shepherd in this psalm that David pins. Psalms 23 in the middle of your Bibles. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David makes it personal. David was a shepherd. And he says, God is my shepherd. The way that I look after my sheep, God's looking after me. Have you made it personal? Do you believe that? The Lord is my shepherd. 
not just that Jesus is the shepherd, that he's the shepherd of his people, but he's my shepherd, that he loves me, that he cares about me, that he wants to lead me. I shall not want, I shall not lack because of my shepherd. I know he's gonna take care of me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There must have been times for David with some of his sheep where he had to force them to lay down. Some stubborn sheep in green pastures saying, this is a good place for us to be. Let's lay down right here. Let's spend some time right here. And David's saying, I'm a stubborn sheep. And I know my shepherd sometimes is gonna make me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes the most difficult thing for us to do is rest. Jesus, as our good shepherd, might say, hey, take a nap. No, I'm not taking a nap, right? Have some time for recreation. Go for a walk. Work on something as a, as a hobby, right? Don't, don't just work all the time. Rest. Lie down in green pastures. We have a shepherd that cares about our rest and leads us beside still waters. When you go camping, if it's a national forest campground, the campsites by the water always go first. Because it's nice to be by a lake, to be by a, a calm stream, and God brings us to still waters for this purpose. He restores my soul. There's so much pain in our lives, a lot of times pain that we don't deal with, that we try to deal with other ways, and if we'll slow down and spend time with our shepherd and allow him to, to lead us, he's gonna restore our soul. He's gonna bring healing inside of us. Sometimes our souls are just tired, our inner man is tired because we've been running so hard. And it's time with Jesus, time with our shepherd where he begins to reconstruct and restore and redeem the heart, the mind, that inner person. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's really hard to walk in the paths of righteousness without the help of our shepherd. We're not designed to be able to do it. But as he leads us, as we hear his voice and just take it one step at a time, we go, wow, I find myself walking in the paths of righteousness in a way that I could never do before, and it's for his glory. It's for us to be able to express, this is because of my shepherd. This is his work in my life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus being our shepherd doesn't mean that we get a pass on the valleys of this life. Yes, he takes us to green pastures. Yes, he brings us to still waters. But yes, he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's with us and he's present with us in those valleys. David may have been experiencing the death of a loved one here. And he describes death as a shadow. Why? Because if someone dies as a believer, death doesn't have the final word. Jesus has conquered death at his resurrection. It's painful, it's difficult, but it's a shadow. And then we're able to walk through difficulty. Church, we're able to walk through difficulty. We don't have to stay in the valley forever. Keep pressing on in the midst of a valley. Keep walking with your shepherd. The shepherd's gonna say, come on, we, we can keep going here. And the beauty of his presence, I am with you. I'm with you in this valley. If you're in a, a valley this morning, Jesus is with you. And his rod, his staff, they bring comfort to us. And it's his presence 
That is the protection from fear. I don't have to fear because my good shepherd is with me. He's walking with me. There's not a day, there's not a moment where you'll ever have to go through something alone. In verse five, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. David had a lot of enemies. And he's saying, God, you're bigger than my enemies. Saul was his chief enemy. Do you have a difficult situation? Are you facing your own enemy? Do you believe that your good shepherd can prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies? To me, this expression of our head being anointed with oil and our cups running over describes the abundant life. Our soul just begins to run over because of the good shepherd pouring life inside of us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's David saying? I'm confident that when I look back on my life, I can say God was good to me and God was merciful. God was good to me and God was merciful. I know his goodness and his mercy is gonna meet me every day of my life and is gonna follow me all of my days. And we can hold on to that through faith as well. That when we pass away, that when we go home to be with the Lord, those that are gathered at our funeral will say God was good to him. God was merciful to him. God was faithful. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And then David makes this decision, I'm gonna dwell. I'm gonna live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And for us to be able to say, you know what? My good shepherd, he's my shepherd, and I'm responding to his voice. I'm gonna follow his voice, and I'm gonna dwell with him forever. Life with the shepherd is good. And in that brings abundant life. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life for us. We're sheep. And you see us as valuable enough to die, to rise again. Thank you that you have promised eternal life but that you're also here with us right now to lead us into green pastures. And as we sing and as we worship, we just express afresh that you are the great I am, that you are worthy, that you are beautiful, that you're wonderful, and you've captured our hearts. And God, also, you've captured our ear, and we wanna hear. We wanna hear what you would speak to us today, what you would speak to the church today. God, you know each heart. You also know those that haven't yet responded to believe in you to receive salvation. And would you speak to them and bring them to that place of commitment and decision? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.